Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Can you pronounce where he played? No. Uh, Lenore Rhine? Lenore Rhine? Lenore Rhine. There you go, man. You got it. Yeah. Hey, You're look on. at me. Not my well New done. Jersey and Texas education coming through in the club. <laughs> oh, you are but what's up everybody Kristen Paul Birdmeister happy to be with you and man Paulie B am I glad I'm done trying to figure out this damn mock draft okay I am it's stressful it is trying to piece it all together and as we talk about all the time I want to be right so I'm not into like making splash I want to be right so uh I I feel good that it's it's over with and now I get to just talk about it the, the hard part is over. And I wanted to ask you about that. Take me inside Sims Draft headquarters there yesterday. You and Mike do PFT in the morning. Where do you go? How much time did you spend working on this yesterday? Oh, this has been a few days of uh, process, right? It's one of those things where, you know, really starting Saturday afternoon, I started to dabble in it a little bit and start to get thoughts together, you know, wrote out the draft, started to put names in places. and. Uh, yeah, yesterday show's over. I went in the kitchen. I had a bunch of stuff around me and I really sat there for almost, I'm going to say eight hours before it was all said and done to where I finally went, okay, I like it. I think this is what I want to do. And, uh, it's ready for showtime. Little tease, a little preview of what's coming. Is there one team or one player that you spent the most time pouring over? There, there is. There definitely is. Okay. There, there's two guys here. All right. And that's a great question. The first guy would be Tua. You know, where does he end up? Who's the team? How do you connect the dots? What, you know, what owner do you think is going to get antsy if Tua's sitting in the, you know, still available and pick 10 and 11 and 12? Which one? So that was big. I'll say the other one Isaiah Simmons. I know I like him. I also know NFL people. And I know that NFL people are going to be concerned that he didn't play one position, that he's like, you know, good at everything, but not great at one thing. And that was one where I sat there and I kept going, damn, I don't know where this guy's going to go. So I do envision Simmons falling out of the top 10. That's the one thing I do. I do feel yes. And I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up late in the teens and maybe early twenties really when all said and done, but I know I found a spot. But yes, I'm, 
that, that's just a gut feel. I don't know that. It's just a gut feel with me knowing football, knowing people around the NFL and having been through this before. Uh, good. Metal note, whenever his name comes up, we'll dive into that one a little more. Before we get rolling here with your mock, all 32 picks in the first round, federally mandated to have you point out whether you are doing this according to what you think and you want to happen or whether you, you're doing this, hey, I want to get every one of these picks right. This is what I think will happen. Well, yeah. In years past, this is going to be my first year I, I've changed it up. I've always done just like, here's the mock draft, no trades, one through 32. And I'm going to pretend that I'm the GM of each team and make that pick. And listen, I like doing it that way. I don't think it's within the spirit of mock drafts. I don't. Because I would have guys that, of course, I valued maybe as better than other guys in the draft process. And I'd have second rounders in there. And then, of course, we know trades are part of this process, too. So I went really off of what I think is going to happen. And then when I got stuck with a team where I said, ah, I'm not so sure. I haven't heard any inklings about this team. I relied just then on me to piece it together and go with my big board and figure out what makes the most sense. So there's a little combination there, okay? And, you know, I'll, I'll explain some of these things as we go along throughout the process here. Quickly, are you, are you incorporating trades? I am. I incorporated a few okay. trades. I okay. probably should have incorporated a few more. I, I mean, you could easily do that and get stuck into that. But I really, I think I ended up going with two or two trades. Two trades that I thought were, you know, definitely going to happen at some point. So uh, I just, I took a shot in the dark and let's see if I can, I can nail it. And one final thing uh, to keep in mind here. I did Peter King's mock draft a couple days ago and I knew all the picks going in. I mean, I had his Football Morning in America articles, so I had everything written in and some questions uh, kind of planned out. I don't know. I've not seen your board here. I don't know who you're picking. I'm going to be surprised just like everybody else watching and listening. So I'm the curious fan who's realizing who you give to each team in the moment also, okay? No, good. I like that. You know, because I, I don't want you to know and then try to act surprised. That's, I mean, you're not an actor. You got a no, lot no, of no. talents yeah. in the world. You're handsome like <laughs> Hollywood and everything like that. But I'm not so sure you have acting it's, skills. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. And I've, I have a feeling you're going to surprise me a few times. And also, one more thing. You've got some interviews coming up with some of these guys we're going to hear in the first round. Uh, that we can see and hear throughout the week on uh, NBC Sports YouTube channel. Yeah, definitely. I had an interview with C.J. Henderson already, the, my, my favorite corner in Your the top draft corner, yeah. Florida. Yeah, right. Isaiah Simmons, my top linebacker, right? So that was good. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, which probably was my most my, – my favorite interview to this point, really. He was awesome. And, of course, my number one running back. And then later today, right as we get done doing this, I am going to talk to C.D. Lamb. So I'm very excited about that. That'll be available on NBC Sports slash YouTube page or, you know, anywhere you download podcasts. I'll be there. Did you tell Isaiah Simmons you're worried about where he's going to play in the draft and it might cause well, him to slip? I did ask him questions along those lines just to go, listen, do you hear feedback about teams being concerned about where do they play you? Because, mm -hmm. as you know, I got friends in the NFL, and that conversation comes up a lot. And I remember it coming up a lot, just whether I was playing or, you know, working for New England. That scares teams sometimes. It's the Minka Fitzpatrick conversation out of Alabama, where it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, he's good at all, but where does he fit for us? And I can envision that being a little bit of an issue for some teams when it comes to Isaiah Simmons. 
All right, Chris, 2020 mock drafts. Here we go. The Bengals at number one. What do you have? Well, let's not waste our time on this one. Come on. I mean, it's Joe Burrow. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. It, it fits from all angles. Listen, I know that the Bengals have been blown out of the water by what they've seen from Joe Burrow already to this point, just as far as the video meetings, the Zoom meetings like you and me are having. He's anybody I've talked to in football well, that knows this kid has just – they just rave about him. They just go, oh, my gosh, he's such a stud. He's so charismatic. He's such a good leader. He's so smart. So, yes, he's the number one pick. He deserves to be the number one pick. He was, about, like I've said all along, one of the cleanest films I ever saw of a quarterback coming out in the draft, and he's got all the tools to be that franchise superstar quarterback. You think he's going to be the real deal in the NFL? I do. You know, and I think he's going to be – you know, like I said, I don't, it's not going to be real deal as in Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, right? The comparison I'll continue to go back to, I think he's Peyton Manning, you know? So I don't know if we're always going to go, oh, wow, what a throw or what an unbelievable physical feat he just accomplished there. No, I think it's going to be more like, damn, can he move in the pocket? Damn, he always gets the ball out of his hands. Damn, it's always an accurate throw. Damn, he always makes the right decision. You know, I think it's going to be one of those, which is what we said a lot when we would watch Peyton Manning through the years. If he could have those two Peyton Manning qualities where pre-snap, he knew where he should go with the ball and then delivered it accurately a couple of seconds later. If he can do that or be even in the same atmosphere, uh, that's a hell of a pick by the Bengals at one. Redskins can have anybody besides Joe Burrow at two. Well, and, you know, again, here's another one. Let's not waste our time on this one because it's Chase Young. You know, I just, you know, it's going to be Chase Young. He's, he's a guy that just, you know, specimens, people like this, they only come around very, you know, very rarely. You know, this is a guy that's in the Miles Garrett, Devion Clowney type of conversation as far as freak athletes are concerned. Khalil Mack. And, you know, this is you – know, you pair him up with some of those defensive linemen they got in Washington, you know, all of a sudden you sit there and you go, whoa, they could be this year's 49ers as far as just defense and pressure with their front four. From that aspect, those are game changers they have along their defensive line. And now you add Chase Young to that mix, man, it's going to be hard for opposing offenses. And, yeah, I think this is a slam dunk, no-brainer, Chase Young to the Washington Redskins. You're warming up, you're rolling, but no surprises yet. Burrow to the Bengals at one, Young to the Redskins at two. I have a feeling that you might go a little bit, veer off the path a little bit here with the Lions at three. Uh, it's a pick that needs to hit for Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, the GM. It, it, th that's right. It needs to hit. And I feel bad for them. They're in a tough spot. You know, as we've talked about, the fact that Tua's injury and all that, there's no trade market, really has affected them. You know, if Tua's healthy, teams are going to be fighting to get in position to get Herbert and Tua at the top three, and they're going to be able to trade down and help their football teams. I don't think it's going to happen right now, okay, Paul? I think they're, gonna, they're looking to trade down. I think they're stuck. Who is there to trade down – or who's, who's trying to trade up right now at number three? Like, wh who's the commodity that everybody's trying to get? So, within that, I think they are going to go with Jeff Okuda as their, their pick, okay? And I know that's not my top beat DB. You know I like e no, uh, C.J. Yeah. Henderson and Terrell better. But I do have reasoning behind it. This is a nod to the fact that you're trying to get these right instead of just yes. always playing GM because – uh, as we talked about, you like C.J. Henderson better. Uh, so tell us a little more about that reasoning behind it. Why Okuda? Well, I think you hit it, Paul, when you said it's like they can't miss this. They can't mess this up. 
right? And, you know, as much as I want to sit there and go, hey, Detroit, maybe you should just take Derrick Brown from Auburn, you know, and that might actually drum up some interest to where teams might want to trade down or trade with you. You know, there's a part, but they, I know they don't have a great need there, but their biggest need on their football team is at the corner position. And Akuda is the most well-schooled, like, NFL-ready one right now. You got to see him do everything at Ohio State. Like we've talked about, Paul, it's a fairly complex defense they played at Ohio State. Plays man, plays zone, does a bunch of different things. He's very well-schooled and almost perfect technically. And I don't think the Lions, who those people, you know, Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia are on the hot seat, I don't think they have the luxury on, oh, let's, let's, we can wait a year and, hey, we like C.J. Henderson and we'll play him, but we got to groom him a little bit and fix some of the things about his game. You know, I don't think they have that luxury. They have to go with the guy that's ready right now. And that's why I say it will be Okuda because they have a desperational need at that position as well. I know from talking to you the last year and a half, Chris, we both feel the same way about Matthew Stafford, that he's a little bit better than most people give him credit for. Did you think at all about going bold here and giving them the number one receiver in the draft? It's, that's a good question. Uh, I did not. I did not. I just felt like it was a little too high, I guess, at that spot at number three. You know, to me, when you're picking number three at wide receiver, it's got to be like, you know, somebody like a Calvin Johnson, you know, or Randy Moss if he didn't have the off the field issues where it's just go, oh, my gosh, it's such a slam dunk that, you know, everybody's going to be trying to get this guy. You do it there. So, no, I really felt like this is Matt Patricia, Bill Belichick disciple. We know how important DBs are to that, that scheme on defense, and they want to do different things and especially play man-to-man. And I think Okuda is just the most game-ready and polished at this point. You know, I don't think he's as talented as A.J. Terrell or C.J. Anderson. Right. But they played in defenses where they just said, you cover that guy. And that's all they did. There was really nothing else to it. They just got it done with pure ability. And, yeah, there's some refining that needs to be done with those two players as compared to Okuda. Giants at four. Two years ago, they've been big skill positions. Saquon Barkley, last year Daniel Jones, quarterback. This year at four. Well, they're a team, again, that I'm sure is looking to trade down a few spots and, you know, get some assets. And, again, I just would argue and go, okay, but who's trying to trade up to number four? Who are we trying to get? I don't know if that market exists. And I go Jedrick Willis from Alabama here. Yeah, to me, he is the, the best tackle in the draft. He's also the safest tackle. And he has a tremendous upside, too. I mean, the comparison I made to him is Lane Johnson in Philadelphia. Lane Johnson's the best right tackle in the NFL right now. player, yeah. Right. I mean, this is a phenomenal athlete. And, again, you know, you know Dave Gettleman's got to get this right or his ass is going to be fired. So he's got to go with a guy that, hey, I've seen him do it all, and he's well-coached and well-schooled. And, you know, I saw him do it against the SEC and all those defensive linemen. you you got to feel comfortable in that aspect. Plus, there's a huge need at the position for the Giants. They have Nate Solder at left tackle, right? So this is perfect because Will, Will's played right tackle at Alabama, and you could start him right there, right away, keep Nate Solder at left tackle. Maybe a year or two from now when Solder retires, then you can bump him over. But I think at the Giants, like you said, Paul, you got Daniel Jones, you got Saquon Barkley. Do you want to open up a hole? Do you want them to have time to, to throw the football? Then – Let's, I know it's not sexy, but let's just get it done 
and get something that's going to help your football team. And that's why I go Jedrick Wills. And most analysts believe that offensive tackle would make the most sense for the Giants at four for the reasons you pointed out. Uh, the only, uh, I guess, surprise here or thing worth delving into, uh, if you ask five GMs, they might have five different offensive tackles as their favorite guy. Give us a little more why you think he is better than the others who might show up uh, as somebody else's number one pick. Yeah, I think he's, a, I think he's the, the best athlete of the group. I mean, he's got special feet in the way he can move in pass protection or the run game. And the biggest thing is I think he's just the most refined and cleanest as far as running NFL schemes in the run game, the screen game, the drop back pass game. You know he's been coached really well by Nick Saban let alone the long arms and the size and everything that goes along with it. So, yes, you know, all those top three tackles, to me, Mekhi Becton, you know, Thomas from Georgia, Wills, they're phenomenal, and I won't be mad if any of them went at four. To me, this is just the safest one of all of them, and I think, you know, the one that's most well-schooled and ready to go right away. Four picks in, it's Burrow, quarterback to Cincinnati. Chase Young, edge rusher to the Redskins at two. Okuda? cornerback to the Lions at three, and Wills, the offensive tackle from Alabama to the Giants at four. Okay, every pick matters. Every pick is exciting if it's your team. But for this draft, uh, this, this is, for many people, where it really begins. This quarterback turn at five and six, Dolphins five, Chargers six, all the questions, uh, all the unknowns about Tua, uh, all the talent for Justin Herbert, uh, maybe teams feel he is better. This is where it starts. So Miami first of three first-round picks at number five. What's on your mind? Well, I'm going, I'm going Justin Herbert here, the quarterback from Oregon. I, I am. And, you know, listen, you know I love him. I think he's the second-best quarterback, whether Tua is healthy or not. I think he's number two behind Joe Burrow for me. Now, I'll say this, Paul. You know, there's rumors percolating in the NFL that the Dolphins might not take a quarterback with these three first-round picks and that they might either look to trade back into the late first round and get a guy like Jordan Love or maybe take Jordan Love with that pick they have in the 20s. So this 26. is very interesting, right? And I thought about it, Paul. I thought about, ooh, maybe they might do this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked because I've heard that they're just not like – they love Joe Burrow – and then I think they really like Justin Herbert, but they don't love him. And I think there's a part of them that maybe thinks, okay, maybe we could pass. But, I, you know, for me, I, I don't think you could take that chance, you know, if I'm Miami. You know, Herbert has special skills. And who's to say if you think you're going to play that game of trading back for Jordan Love or something like that, that another team doesn't try to ha have the same idea or do that. All of a sudden you're sitting there and you're going, oh, shit. We got nobody to take a quarterback. We're going to have to ride with Ryan Fitzpatrick for real here and dive into this conversation next year. Justin Herbert has everything. Miami, just take him at number five. He can be a big-time special quarterback for that city and that franchise. We talked about the Dolphins at 26, Chris, but they also have pick number 18. Don't you think that, I mean, at 18, if they're following that logic, that they're not in love with Justin Herbert, they're the only team in the NFL that gave up an average of more than 30 points per game last year. Take the best defensive player at five. Aren't you almost sure that Love would be there at 18? Yes, you are. You're definitely sure that Love – I think Love will be there at 18. But now, you know, I think Love in a lot of ways is viewed as a guy that's a late first round, you know, early second round type talent to where – 
I think teams will be reluctant to spend that pick on him. You know, and hey, listen, if you're totally sold that he's the guy and you have no doubts about that, then take him at 18. You're right. That's a, it's a valid thought. But I have a hard time thinking anybody can come to that consensus when you watch Jordan Love's film. There's needs a lot of work on and off the field. The, the, the good stuff is like, oh, my gosh, it's freaking amazing. That's Aaron Rodgers. You know, the bad stuff is just, oh, gosh, that's really raw. He needs to work on that. And that's why I think it would be hard for me. And then listen, maybe Miami doesn't take the quarterback at five to what you're saying. And then two is on the board at 13 or 14. And all of a sudden they just, Stephen Ross can't take it. Oh my gosh, two is there, two is there. You know, that's what's going to happen. One of these owners is going to just, they've been fed this propaganda about Tua, 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 Tua. And the city's buying into it to where, what owner's going to take the cheese is a big, con big conversation. And, and, you know, Stephen Ross, I, I think he likes cheese, so I wouldn't be shocked either. <laughs> it's our one chance to talk Justin Herbert here. He's such a big name in the draft. For those who will see that you gave him at five to the Dolphins and say, you can't take a quarterback that high with questions about anticipation and a diminutive leadership style, what's your response? Uh, I, I just don't agree with that. I, I don't. You know, first off, you know, the anticipation stuff, he wasn't in an offense that really asked about anticipation. You know, it's not that type of offense. A lot of the, what he was asked to do was, hey, just jam it in there. And that's what he did. You know, it, he, he showed me enough on film, Paul, that he can throw with anticipation. I saw plenty of corner routes and deep crosses where he put great touch on the ball and let the receiver run under it. So, I, again, that goes back into, like, my wide receiver route running crap. It's, it's too much like Patrick Mahomes. So he didn't have anticipation either when he was coming out in the draft. Oh, he's got it now. Oh, that's right. Great throwers can throw it any way they want. Justin Herbert's a special talent. And uh, I, I don't think you pass him up if you're the Miami Dolphins. Hey, for what it's worth, I take him over two at 10 times out of 10 as well. Uh, I, I like you. the same things you do. But it, it will be. It's an interesting conversation because there's plenty to question if you're on the other side. Okay, Justin Herbert. At five to the Dolphins. Burrow, obviously, at one to the Bengals. Quarterback still on the mind for the Chargers at six. It is. It's still on the mind, and I get it. And there's a lot of rumors out there that Tom Telesco and the Chargers like Tua. There is, you know, but I have a hard time believing that they would pull the trigger there at number six with a guy that has had all these injury concerns. And most people would tell you in the NFL that, they're hearing Tua needs to get another ankle surgery. So I just don't see that happening. And I want to say this also, Paul. I mean, they need somebody that can play and contribute right now, right away. You know, again, they have an average year. Does Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn know they're coming back for 2021? I don't think they know that. So they what need kind somebody of team? What kind of yeah. team do you think they are with Tyrod Taylor? I think they're, I think they're like, a, I think they're really good. Like they're a playoff caliber football team. I think the one issue they're missing is an offensive line. And that's why I'm going Andrew Thomas from Georgia to play tackle for them this year. They need the tackle position. It's been one of the worst offensive lines of football over the last few years, you know, and, and Phillip Rivers is just so tough and fearless. We kind of like gloss it over and be like, ah, Phillip will be okay. He can hang in there, the big soldier, you know. But, no, if they want to play Anthony Lynn football and they want to run the ball and play through their defense a little bit, which they have a Super Bowl-caliber defense, I think this is the right move. 
I do. And Andrew Thomas, I know Makai Becton's on the board, but I know Tom Telesco. He's a stand-up guy. He's into character. I don't think he's going to necessarily like that Makai Becton got flagged at the combine. And Andrew Thomas is an SEC left tackle who played against, you know, the best of the best. And it's a pretty damn clean film, and I think he's a can't-miss prospect. So I do. I, I think this is the pick. You do have Becton ranked ahead of Thomas in your top five, Becton at two, Thomas at three. So, so far, two quarterbacks gone, two offensive tackles as we get to the Carolina Panthers at number seven, first draft with Matt Rule as the head coach. Yep, and I'm going Derek Brown here, defensive tackle from Auburn. I mean, you know, to me, this is a top five talent. And this is to me where I feel like Detroit played it wrong. Detroit should have been telling people all along that they were going to take Derek Brown and get people to trade up to get to that three spot. But this, this, is, this is a truly, truly special human being at 327 pounds or whatever you weighed in at. The way he moves, how he can pressure the quarterback inside, and Carolina is depleted of defensive tackles. I mean, they got Kawan short, and they don't got much else. I mean, I think they only got two on the roster right now. So this is like a desperate need. And it's also like, wow, this could be the best player on our board falling to us at number seven. I wouldn't be shocked. Like, he's that type of talent. So, Derek Brown all the way for the Carolina Panthers here. And they also need a face of that defense. Luke Keekley uh, wore that so well the last eight seasons. With him gone, uh, that's probably a thought well with their front seven, too. Arizona Cardinals at number eight. And this is one for me, Chris, that either way makes sense. If you're going to help Kyler Murray and give him something besides DeAndre Hopkins, that's great. I would applaud that. Defense gave up more yards than any team in the NFL last year. So, so that works, too. Which way are you going? Yeah, there's, there's a number of ways you can go here. All right? And this is probably going to be my first shocker of the top ten here, Paulie. I'm going C.D. Lamb. Love it. Oklahoma. Yes. Yeah, well done. yeah, I'm doing it. You know, the defense certainly needs some players. There's no doubt about that. You know, and it, are they, could they be in the Javon Kinlaw conversation? Hey, certainly. I wouldn't be shocked. But, okay, one, I had somebody I tr trusted that told me that they think that the Cardinals might go C.D. Lamb at number seven and just say, screw it. We're going to have so many weapons on offense and we're going to spread the field and what are you going to do with Kenyon Drake a quarterback that runs 4-3 and then DeAndre Hopkins Larry Fitzgerald and C.D. Lamb they're going to go I, I think they're going to go Golden State on everybody right here and just go we're scoring can you keep pace with us and it makes sense with the quarterback they have Cliff Kingsbury offensive we know you know wants to shoot it out that's what he grew up and knows that knowledge so yeah, this is my shocker, but I'm going C.D. Lamb here. I think it makes sense for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm in love with this pick for all the reasons you mentioned, and I hadn't thought about the one that you just mentioned, Larry Fitzgerald. And What a bonus. I mean, one, I'm thinking about on the field, you're opposite of DeAndre Hopkins, so you're probably not getting the best cover guy or coverage rolled to you. You can learn from Larry Fitzgerald, a pro's pro, future Hall of Famer, uh, just one extra level of why that would be a pretty cool pick. No, no doubt about it. And, and you know, it's going to help Larry, Larry Fitz is going to be happy. And, you know, so what you're saying, C.D. Lamb's going to get to learn from Fitz and, and DeAndre Hopkins. That's unbelievable. And, you know, the thing that really sold me on it when I went, man, King, Kingsbury wants to spread it out. Well, C.D. Lamb's the best spread it out receiver in the draft. There's no doubt about that. I mean, nobody breaks more ankles and breaks tackles 
and makes miss, people miss in space, other than maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at running back, than C.D. Lamb and the whole draft. So I think it's really set up for him. And, uh, yeah, it, it kind of makes me excited to see the Arizona Cardinals if this does happen. Got my phone in one hand. I'm, I'm ordering my Arizona Cardinals gear right now. I'm excited to watch them play. <laughs> Jump on the bandwagon this coming fall. Number nine, the Jaguars. And I mentioned that, that Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia, that combination Detroit really, really needs their pick to hit. Same thing can be said for the Jaguars with Doug Marone and also Dave Caldwell. This is the first of two picks in the first round. They're back at number 20. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I looked at this and, you know, I hear people say, oh, you know, corner, corner certainly something I look at. But I also want to say, you know, with that scheme, the Seattle scheme, you don't always need the best pure man-to-man corners to make that work, right? I mean, Richard Sermon plays three deep zone all game long. He's a perfect scheme fit for the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks because they played that Seattle scheme just like Jacksonville. So I went away from the corner because I think they're going to be able to find them in the second round or even at pick 20 if they want to go that way. But I am going with Javon Kinlaw, South Carolina. The Jaguars were built on big, nasty, mean guys on the defensive side of the ball when they went to the AFC Championship a few years ago. And I think Kinlaw is just too good to pass up. I just think he's a special top five type talent. And with him on the board and – with them, no more Calais Campbell, no Marcel Darius, you know, kind of retooling their football team. You could put this guy with Josh Allen uh, on the edge and Taven Bryant, and they drafted in the first round a few years ago, and now have Miles Jack at linebacker. I mean, I just think that'll be that, – that's going to be a formidable force. I, I think it's Javon Kinlaw. You also had defensive tackle Derek Brown go number seven to the Panthers, and I listened to your podcast last week with Ahmed, where he talked about this group. How close were you to having Kinlaw as your number one defensive tackle? Oh, like 1A and 1B. I mean, that's really what it was to me. I I gave, you know, I like Kinlaw's body better. Um, He might have a little bit better pure strength, but it's not by much. And But Brown's ability to cause havoc and rush the passer is really special. And I think that's ultimately what made me give him the edge over Javon Kinlaw. Okay. Bringing us to the Cleveland Browns at 10. So far, two quarterbacks off the board. The Bengals at one, go Burrow. Justin Herbert, five to Miami. Uh, Two offensive tackles off the board. Also two interior defensive linemen. Cleveland at 10. What do you think? All right. Here's my first trade. I'm going to go the Cleveland Browns trade with the Oakland Raiders, who are pick number 12. Okay? Because – I think my man John Gruden and Mike Mayock are going to panic once they see that C.D. Lamb went off the board at seven. And then there's teams like the Jets in front of them who might take the receiver two. And I think they're going to want to get in front of the Jets to make sure they get the receiver they want that's not named C.D. Lamb. And that's where I'm going that trade. So the, the, the Browns go back to 12. Raiders go back up to 10. And I think they will take Jerry Judy at pick number 10. Okay. And you know, Jerry Judy's not one of the five best receivers in the draft for me. Uh, I'm trying to be right here. And I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of John Gruden and my experience with them. And I will say, as a quarterback, nobody spent more time with John Gruden on a roster than me. He, I think, will fall in love with a guy like Jerry Judy. Gruden puts a lot of emphasis on route runners. Gruden is obsessed with Jerry Rice. 
And this guy has a – I'm not saying this guy's Jerry Rice, okay? So I'm pumped the brakes there. But he's got a style like him. And he is a really refined, awesome route runner like him too. And I just think Gruden's going to value that and really like this guy. Plus, he's polished, ready to go, like we talked about with some of the other picks. So I'm going Raiders with Jerry Judy there. Okay, you're playing John Gruden there and going wide receiver. I like the pick, by the way. I'm going to play Mike Mayock and raise my hand and say, hey, John, we both love this wide receiver class. We can get a couple of starters in rounds two and three later in the draft. Our favorite cornerback, and I don't know that's true, is still there. C.J. Henderson is right there. Let's get our starting corner and get a starting receiver in round two. Well, it's, it's a very real conversation. I mean, that's the story of the draft a little bit. Right. With some of these teams that need receiver. Like, are they going to reach and take the receiver here? Or are they going to wait till, like you're saying, the second or third round and go, oh, we're going to get some good ones. Now, you know, again, I would say with the Raiders, it's such a desperate need at wide receiver. Like, they got to have somebody who's a difference maker. I think they're going to put – you know, extra emphasis on getting one of their guys in the first round. Because, again, if, if, and we don't know how this unfolds, but if a runner-receiver start to go here in the teens and in the early 20s, and then all of a sudden at the top of the second round, you know, another four or five receivers come off the board, all of a sudden you're going, oh, shit, one of those receivers I thought we were going to get that was going to be a starter, they're all gone. There's nine gone in the top, you know, 40 picks. And now you start to go, shit. We didn't get a guy that we really felt was like a difference maker. So I don't think you risk this one. I expect the Raiders to take a receiver with one of these first two round, uh, first round picks. Like the pick, and I like your response to, to the pushback, which is going to happen in every single room, especially with receiver and the depth in this class. Okay, Jets at 11. Interesting here because I have written down a wide receiver and offensive tackle. Uh, two at each position are already off the board. Yeah, well – I look at the Jets, okay, they could use a corner, you mentioned it, tackle or wide receiver. They could use that, all three of those. I think the Jets, with Jamison Crowder signing Rashad Perryman and Josh Doxson, I think those moves were made to give themselves some cushions to not be desperate to have to take a quarterback, at, I mean, a wide receiver at 11. And, you know, their defensive backs certainly need some help, too. But I think there will be a good, good amount of good defensive backs available for them in their second-round pick. I don't know if I can say that about a franchise left tackle. And that's where I'm going to go with Makai Becton. I think this is one where, hey, you want to get the run game going with Le'Veon Bell. You want to make Sam Darnold like the man in New York. you got to help him out a little bit. And I just think Makai Becton, I think this is a, where teams – I think he has a very real chance to like sliding to this because of – you know, I think two things are concerning with Mekhi Beckton. Of course, being flagged in the combine, and then people are concerned with how big he is. Because if he has one bad offseason, all of a sudden he's 405 pounds, and you go, holy crap, he can't move his feet anymore, and he can't play tackle for us. But, you know, it sounds like he's a professional and got his weight under control. The film is absolutely phenomenal. And Joe Douglas, who comes from Philadelphia and Baltimore. Man, what do those two teams have? Hmm. Oh, that's right. Giant offensive lineman. Ronnie Stanley, Jason Peters. I think there's got to be some belief there institutionally in that, too. So that's why I go back there. Uh, Philadelphia, Lane Johnson as well. I mean, with his height, he was a massive right. tackle that they liked for very good reason. So 
Okay, Jets offensive tackle, now three tackles off the board. And kind of like receiver, it's going to be a, such a popular position in the first round. You'll wonder as we get into the teens and 20s if teams are really – how much value do they have on the fifth or sixth best offensive lineman right. when they come to that pick? Because you're going to be facing that here in our draft, and GMs are going to be facing that on Thursday night as well. Bringing us to number 12, Cleveland did have the 10th pick. They traded back, according to you, with the Raiders, so the Raiders could take wide receiver Jerry Judy. Browns at 12, and oh, by the way, offensive tackle might be their number one need as well. Yes, and it, it, it is. It's one of their biggest needs on their football team. To me, it was between that and linebacker. You know, those are the two positions I walked away with going, they got to fix that. Now, I didn't go offensive tackle because, you know, from and I know this, the Cleveland Browns are in the final two teams of the Trent Williams sweepstakes, right, from the Washington Redskins. So I kind of played the angle that they still have a lot of money and salary cap left, that they're going to make that happen, okay? That's kind of the – I kind of just pieced that together. And then I also went – you know, they didn't have like the – what? the second leading rusher in football last year in Nick Chubb. I mean, the offensive line wasn't so bad that I was like, oh, my gosh, Baker Mayfield and the Browns have no chance. They're just so horrible up front. No, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's not great, but it's like in the middle of the road. So I'm going with Isaiah Simmons here, all right? I think he could be the guy that they fall in love with here. And like I said, they lost Joe Schobert. They got a very good defensive line. They got nobody at the second level who can just go sideline to sideline and go get the ball carrier. And the more and more people I've talked to, too, one thing I've heard about Isaiah Simmons, yeah, there's the concerns about what position he plays. I also have so many friends tell me that when they ask college players who the best player they played against, Isaiah Simmons' name comes up mm. a lot, right? A lot. It came up with me with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I asked him who the two best players. One of them was Isaiah Simmons. So I, I think I saw enough physicality, and, of course, all the athletic ability is there. It's a real positional need. Joe Woods just took over as defensive coordinator. He came from San Francisco where he knows how, fa how fast linebackers can help a defense out. And I just think that Isaiah Simmons would fit the fancy of the Cleveland Browns and be a, a great fit for what they do there. Isn't that a wonderful question to ask of the prospects? Because they're so well coached in so many of the other areas and how to give the right answer. But if you ask somebody who's the best player you played against, they usually kind of sit up straight and, and want to talk about it. Uh, so I, I think you bring up a, a fun point there that I think a lot of GMs, uh, they get a lot of mileage out of that question. I, I, you're right. I mean, you know, again, you know, athletes usually know other athletes, right? Exactly. You know, you, yeah. You, you get around them and you're around them. And, hey, I played at LSU. Hey, I played at Florida State or Notre Dame. And you start to see all these top level athletes. And then you get on the field and you get this guy like Isaiah Simmons. You go, man, we got good athletes on our team, but we don't got anybody like that guy. <laughs> right. right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that there are some teams that put a lot of stock into that for sure. As we arrive at the 49ers pick here at 13, a couple of things to point out, Chris. Uh, number one, Tua Tungavailoa is still out there. The only quarterbacks off the board, Joe Burrow, one to Cincinnati, and also Justin Herbert, five to the Dolphins. As for the 49ers pick at 13, Chris, this is my favorite pick in the first round because I know they need a defensive lineman. That's why they have this 13th pick from the Indianapolis Colts. But I think of the Niners, and I think of the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl when they couldn't score a touchdown, not one, when they had to have it. I'd love to see him go wide receiver here. So Niners at 13, 
What do you think? Well, I think there is a very real possibility they could go receiver. I think your thought there is, is, you know, spot on. I also look and go, if Javon Kinlaw is at the board at 13, you know, because they lost to Forrest Buckner, uh, that, that could be a very real pick as well. Just to, again, make sure that one of the most dominant forces in football, which was the 49ers D-line last year, stays that same way. And it would if they have Javon Kinlaw on there. He could take that spot at the Forrest Buckner. He's that type of player. But also, we got to take into account, 49ers don't have second and third round picks. They don't have any picks in this draft at all, all right? And they are a Super Bowl team with a roster where you go, there's nothing desperate here that they need. And the positions that they do need, I think, have pretty good depth in, in the draft. So this is where I'm going, trade the old trade, Polly Burmeister. And I got the 49ers trading. With the team that's picking at number 20, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because, Uh-oh. yeah, I think the Khan family is going to be one of those that takes that to a cheese that we talked about. I do. You know, I think they're going to be sitting there on the board, go, sitting there going, oh, my gosh, two is there. You know, this is Jacksonville. I know they have Gardner Minshew, and they like him. But Tua you know, is a, is a nationwide figure. And Jacksonville's it right down the road from Georgia and Alabama and the University of Florida, which is SEC country. So as much as they like Gardner Minshew and he's going to sell tickets, I promise you Tua is going to sell tickets. And, of course, I think there's a lot of teams out there that, that like Tua and what he brings to the game. They're selling tickets. So what's your confidence level, though, that they'll be winning games in the AFC South with Tua? Yeah, well, that, that's the big question. I mean, again, you know me, Paulie. I, I don't look at him and go, oh, this is a top five, top ten quarterback, even with no injury concerns. I don't. I like Tua. Realistically, I think he's like an 18 to 32 type talent with a clean injury slate. I think people overhype him a little bit because of the machine of which is Alabama. I mean, hey, I mean, he didn't play at the end of the year. Alabama, like, didn't fall off earth and, like, wasn't competitive. I mean, they put up a lot of points in every game, blew out Michigan in the bowl game. So those are my things with Tua, along with the injury concerns. But, you know, again, I do think he would fit the Jay Gruden-type offense, which is a little bit similar to a Sean Payton or a John Gruden. A lot of ways to throw the ball short, get the ball out of your hands that way. And, of course, just because of Tua, and most people view him as, like, the star of the draft, I just think Jacksonville is going to be one of those teams that's going to bite the hook and make the move here. If I gave you a, a small sheet of paper right now and a pen and said, write down your two concerns and rank them about Tua and its injury and it's his ability to play at quarterback in the NFL, what shows up at number one? Um, I think the injury thing is still the most concerning thing. I, I do. You know, again, the injury history. And then, Paul, as you and I have discussed on prior podcasts, when you really break him down, there are so many plays where he barely avoids disaster. Or you just go, wait, did the disaster happen? Oh, okay, good. He got up. He's okay. I mean, it's knee, ankle, stuck under people, compromised positions with people, dragging him down, and then he's getting hit in the chest with a free open runner. You know, the, the way he plays, along with the injury history, it all scares me. You know, people are like, Hey, this guy's not Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson. Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson are arguably the fastest people on their team. Like, could beat anybody. Oh, 
oh, you want to line up and race? Sure. Tua is not going to necessarily come in first and beating the quarterbacks in the room in a race. So uh, that's where I think people got to get that in their brains a little bit too with him. He plays in a style of backyard football to me that's concerning as well with that injury history. So, yes, you know I don't love the player. I think it's a little bit of a reach, and it's risky, but I certainly can understand the logic. I do. Bringing us to a team that all of a sudden has a lot of excitement and relevance, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 14. Tom Brady, a quarterback, Rob Gronkowski at tight end now with some other pretty good weapons there in the passing game. Before we talk about the pick, Chris, where do you put Tampa Bay now in the NFC South, considering the, the names they've added to that roster? I, I mean, I, I'm going to still say the Saints are king, okay? I'm not going to, like, uh, renounce them yet. I mean, that's a really good football team with, uh, you know, knows how to play, battle-tested, been in a lot of big football games. We haven't seen Tampa do crap on the field yet, but I'm still going to put them second. I am. I mean, with the talent – and now with a guy like Brady and his leadership and what he'll do to the team in the locker room, and now add Gronk to that, yeah, I, I, I do. I value. I look at this team as an NFL playoff team for sure. And um, yeah, this is this is a big draft. They're all in, right? They're all in right now. The Bucks are trying to win the Super Bowl this year or next year. So this is an all-in type of pick right now to make sure that Brady can play the next two years. And to make sure he could stay upright, I think offensive tackle would make a lot of sense. I should point out that three are already off the board. Yep, and, but, but you're right, and that's, that's why I said it. I mean, if they want two years out of Tom Brady, they better draft the tackle. You know, if they only want one year of Tom Brady, then don't draft him and just let him get crushed, and he'll go, holy shit, I don't want to play here anymore. I'll retire. <laughs> Let's go, Giselle. We're out of here. So I think Tristan Wirfs from Iowa will be, will be the pick here. You know, he is the next consistent first-round type talent offensive tackle. Not my favorite, as you know. Uh, he was my fourth tackle on the list. But nonetheless, has NFL starting capabilities at that position. Great size, big, strong, has experience playing right tackle, and that's what they need. They have Donovan Smith at left tackle. He's very good. They need the guy on the other side. And I think that's why if you want to make this work and go all in and try to get the Super Bowl this year, you got to protect Tom Brady. And I think Tristan Wirfs the pick. Next selection belongs to the Denver Broncos at 15. If you just look at their record recently, Chris, they, they've been doing a lot more losing than winning. But if you boil it down to last December, they won four out of five. And young offensive weapons led by Drew, Drew Locke is a lot of reason to be excited on that side of the ball about what they're doing. And I keep hearing they want a receiver at 15. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, they're a tough team here. They really are. And I, I, you know, I know the receiver things out there. Uh, I certainly can see them doing that. I didn't feel that way. You know, I think the world of John Elway. I do. I know their team hasn't been great the last few years. But, I mean, you, you can't be relevant every year. You know, I mean, since John Elway's taken over, I mean, all the AFC championship games, you know, two Super Bowl appearances, winning one of them, you know, he's made some big-time moves, and I think he's about to build another winner here in Denver right now. But I'm going to go middle linebacker here, Paulie. I'm going to go Patrick Queen from LSU as my pick for the Denver Broncos. You know, I think Denver ultimately has, you know, got Cortland Sutton, uh, got Noah Fant, all right? That's pretty damn good one-two punch right there. 
I don't think you're like desperate and going like to me at least where I go, oh my gosh, if we don't get a receiver, we're not going to be able to move the ball this year. Oh, I don't look at it that way. I do think they're one of those teams that I, I'm hoping is going to reevaluate and go, we can get another good receiver in the second round. Uh, I think they are one of those teams, and I don't think they need a top number one. Sutton's a number one. He's a star, a stud. So I go queen for this logic. One, they have a need at middle linebacker. Two, it's in a really important position for Vic Fangio in the 3-4 defense. You know, he came from the Bears. They drafted Roquan Smith. Mm -hmm. You know, before that, he was in San Francisco. Who did he have? Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman. You know, if you want to make this 3-4 scheme work, you need a beast at middle linebacker. And I think Patrick Queen is ultra-talented and made to be that guy. I think you bring up some real good uh, big-picture points about the Broncos under John Elway. That They've had some tremendous years and some great stretches. It is three losing seasons in a row, so there's a little bit more sense of urgency right yes. now than there has right. been. One question about your pick. Why do you think Patrick Queen is better than Murray out of Oklahoma? Yeah, that, that I, I go back and forth there. You know, we talked about how, like, I had Brown and Kinlaw's 1A and 1B. You know, I, I have some days where I sit here and think about the linebacker position, and I go, oh, I think I like Kenneth Murray better than Patrick Queen. And then the next day I switch the other way. So that's very close. And, you know, I think Patrick Queen a little more explosive as an athlete. Kenneth Murray a little bit better size. And – also can play a rugged style of football between the tackles. So either one would work is what I'm saying, Paulie. I guess I'm just going with Patrick Queen because he's in the SEC and uh, they've drafted Roquan Smith and Patrick Willis before. And I just think, you know, I mean, Vic Fangio and that, and I think that'll kind of be their coming team. I like the way you're connecting the dots there. Falcons at 16. And this could also be a position where best defensive player on their board is the pick. No doubt about it. I mean, you know, I thought about pass rusher. I did, but I go, okay, you got Tack McKinley, who you drafted in the first round a few years ago, and you didn't just pay Dante Fowler Jr. all this money. You know, there's only so many pass rushers you can play at one time. So I think this is corner, and I think it's corner all the way because they're just they're, they're depleted at the position and they're not talented at the position. And this is where I think C.J. Henderson from Florida comes into play right here. I think he's, you know. One, a perfect scheme fit for the Atlanta Falcons where, like a Richard Sherman, has that great length, right? Can jam you at the line of scrimmage, then bail out, and you can never really get on top of them or get a big play. But, you know, I think the Seattle scheme is starting to realize, too, you can't play the Seattle scheme every play. It's going to get picked apart at some point, and especially on third and four and third and five, you can't play three deep zone and think you're going to stop the great offenses quarterbacks of the world. you got to play some man-to-man. And, yes, C.J. Henderson, for me, is the most talented pure man-to-man corner in the draft. So uh, I think, really, Henderson is a top 10 or 12 talent as far as the draft is concerned. But the way it's shaped out, he was sitting here on the board for him, and I think Atlanta would jump at the chance to get him. If you could go back and play against one defense the majority of the game, it's a three deep zone, right? I mean, every quarterback is like, yes, please. No doubt about it. Yes, please. Exactly. You know, there's just, you know, when you play that scheme all the time, it's just so much pressure on the players all the time to come through. Oh, front four, you got to get there because we're playing three deep zone. Oh, linebackers, you got to fly all around the field and cover all these holes. You know, 
it's just it's just too hard. It's my problem with this team this day and age. There's got to be some versatility. You know, the New England Patriots, right? I mean, the Baltimore Ravens. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs in the fourth quarter against the 49ers. I don't know what go. fucking defense they were going to run. They were going to run whatever was going to help them at that moment to get them out of the jam they were in. And mm-hmm. that's what bothers me about the Seattle scheme at times. Yeah, unknown a quarterback who doesn't know what you're going to line up and play in is uh, sometimes right. better than – than a wonderful scheme or wonderful players, his confusion goes a long way. Cowboys right. at 17. And this is a spot where one way you look at them, hey, on defense, their number one need might be safety. Offense, their number one need might be center. Uh, best players available at those positions because nobody off the board. Dallas I, at 17. Yeah, I know. This is, this is a good one. And I, I think you make I, – I really thought about safety. I did. I don't think they're desperate at center. And I don't think there's a center, as much as I like Ruiz from Michigan, I think you'd be reaching right now. And again, this is still, even without Travis Frederick, a really awesome offensive line. So, I mean, again, I just want to be like, I mean, you know, how awesome do we have to be? How much money and assets do we got to put into one position here? All right? The safety thing is real, but I, I think they do like Xavier Woods, and they signed Clinton Dix. And the offseason, and to me, just connecting the dots, I think they're hoping, okay, yeah, we filled that hole. We're not desperate in the top 20 to have to go there. And that's where I'm going to go Caleb on chase on from LSU. You know, one of my favorite man crushes in the whole world in this draft. And, man, I just think him coming off the edge is just going to be too much. He's too much of a specimen for the Jones family, uh, Jones family to turn down here at this spot. And considering how much you do like him, and it, it's Xavier McKinley, the safety out of Alabama, and he's still on the board. A lot of people like him a lot. But considering how much you enjoyed watching Chase on, to get him at 17, and I, you got to think about it a moment, is this your best value pick of it, your draft to find him it's there? It's up there. It's up there. Like, yes. Uh, I, you, you know, Paul, I know we've discussed. I think Caleb on Chase on is like a top 10 talent. I do. I think people are undervaluing this kid. He's still a kid, too. He's just going to get bigger, stronger, and faster. I mean, I think he's 20 years old. He's like one of the youngest guys in the draft. So I don't think he's even reached his potential yet, which is why it's scary to me. And the Jones family in Dallas, they're into specimens, as we know. I mean, they got a collection of just one stud after another all across their football team, and they need another pass rusher. It's it's an issue on their team right now, and I I think they do that. I did think of the – you know, you're Xavier McKinney. I'm not going to lie. Only thing that stopped me really was Xavier McKinney to me is like a free safety slash nickel back. And the Cowboys have some good nickel players. So I just didn't look at it quite as desperate as I looked at it and said, man, are we going to really go all in on Dorrance Armstrong or Randy Gregory or, um, you know, Alden Smith to be that guy? I mean, that's just too much of a risk in my opinion. So you got to take somebody – that you know is real deal, and Caleb on Chase is real deal, and like wore that number 18 at LSU, which is special yeah. for leadership and being a leader and, and doing all those things right off the field. Dolphins at 18, this is their second of three first-round picks. They have more than any other team uh, in the first round, also more picks than every other team altogether at 14. At five, you gave him the quarterback, Justin Herbert. 18, that defense still needs a lot of help. It does need a lot of help, and that's where we're going to go, and we're going to go to the safety position and this is where I'm not going to go Xavier McKinney. I'm going to go Antoine Winfield Jr. 
Love it. Antoine Winfield Jr. is my favorite safety in the draft. I think he's the best true free safety in the draft. Unbelievable speed sideline to sideline. But, you know, I've compared him to Earl Thomas. He will come up and smack you in the mouth in the hole in the run game. I mean, he's got two rockets up his butt. So he's an aggressive open field tackler. He can really read and react and diagnose plays and get downhill in a hurry. And he's phenomenal in the back end of the pass game. You know, his dad's an ex-corner, an ex-Pro Bowl corner at that. I mean, special. And he has special movements like a corner to play receivers deep down the field and do that. I thought he had really, you know, the best ball skills out of any safety in the draft. And uh, that's why I go Antoine Winfield Jr. I think some fans of the team would say, okay, would we rather have Minka Fitzpatrick at safety or Antoine Winfield? Did we come out on top there in basically that exchange in defensive back end? What do you think? I think so, yes. Because I think for what they need is a true, real safety to play the back end. Brian Flores is true Devin McCourty. And I think, I think this guy, Antoine Winfield Jr., fits that mold of that type of player. Come down, tackle. If you need him to cover, he can do that as well. Uh, I think he'll fit the scheme better. Raiders at 19, and a reminder what you had them uh, doing there earlier in the first round, trading up from 12 to 10 with Cleveland to take Jerry Judy, wide receiver. So Las Vegas at 19 now. I'm going to go with A.J. Terrell at corner. You know, Mike Mayock likes Clemson players. We know that. And, you know, I would say this is the most talented one he's drafted yet. Uh, that would be my thing. Yeah, I mean, I think they overdrafted for Cleveland Farrell at number four last year. Uh, but Terrell, as you know, I mean, he's one another one of my guys that's a man crush in this draft. I love him. I mean, I think he is an island-type corner. They need help at that position. They do. They got the kid from Clemson in the second round last year. Now you got a duel of them on both, you know, uh, one on each side. And I think A.J. Terrell is the type of guy that, will be able to match up with the elite receivers in the AFC West, and they're going to feel really good about him man-to-man -man against whoever it is. Desperate need for them, and I think, you know, this is a super talented football player. And he would have gotten, uh, and he being Mike Mayock, an excellent report from Dabo Sweeney. An evaluator not named Mike Mayock told me that Sweeney pulled him aside and said, this is the best corner we've had here. Since I've been here, this is the best one and a terrific kid. So whoever takes him, I got an A-plus report from the coaching staff, which they don't always get when it's one-on-one. -on -one. That's good to hear. But it, 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 it screams that on the film, Paul. It does. Right? It screams competitor. I like getting in your face. I love football. He shows all the emotions and just the correct way to play for what I would want for be my franchise quarterback. So that's cool to hear. I, I like that you added that tidbit. Makes me feel better. <laughs> that's what we like to do I, I ask you enough questions about your picks I can puff you up a little bit every now and then at 20 the 49ers and let's back up to the pick they did have at 13 you had Jacksonville trading up to take quarterback to a tongue of Iloa so 49ers at 20 and keep in mind they also have the 31st pick here in this first round yeah you know and, and this is uh I, you know again I, I think this is where the 49ers are going to go wide receiver I'm not necessarily confident on who that could be you know at this point in right now we're sitting here and we got you know uh jefferson from lsu on the board yeah rugs. henry rugs both on the board right i'm gonna say that kyle shanahan would prefer henry rugs i'm gonna go there i don't know but i think they're looking for 
you know, that dangerous weapon that can do different things for their offense once again to where, yeah, we got him that could take the ball deep. We can have Debo Samuel and Kittle working underneath who are dangerous as hell if they catch the ball on the run. So, and then with the run game added to that, man, are they going to be able to stress defenses out with Ruggs' speed and everything they have that, that comes with it. I, I think that could be a special combination. But, yeah, I do envision the receivers in that uh, – I mean, the, the 49ers in that receiver conversation here at this pick. Hey, think about defensive coordinators in the NFC West right now because back at eight, you went C.D. Lamb to the Cardinals. I love that pick, adding him to DeAndre Hopkins. And now Kyle Shanahan gets Henry Ruggs. I mean, life is different after the first 20 picks here for defensive players and coordinators in that division. There is so many talented players in this division that it is unbelievable. When you just, you know, I mean, you just think about the Rams and they still got Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and, you know, other guys that we're not talking about. You know, the Cardinals, yeah, you're right. I mean, those weapons on offense, along with Chandler Jones on the defensive side of the ball, all the players in Seattle and San Francisco, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I think this draft is only going to make that division uh, you know, continue its dominance as the best division in football. Chris, you just made things a little bit uncomfortable for the decision makers for the Eagles because I believe they would desperately like a receiver with the 21st pick, but now three of them are off the board. They're up here at 21. Yeah, and I still think they're going to go receiver, though. And, you know, uh, they're going to get one of my favorites, as you know. I mean, uh, uh, this is my second favorite receiver in the whole draft. Justin Jefferson, LSU, you know, as I've said many times, I think this is, you know, the better version of Jerry Judy, really. He's faster, he's bigger, he makes more plays down the field, but certainly just an awesome, well-rounded receiver. Can be a star on the outside, can be a star in the slot, but it's a desperate need for this football team. They got to get Carson Wentz some weapons. They can't depend on Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson being healthy for a full season. That's risky. And they're getting up there in age regardless. So they need some new life at the position. They're thin with talented players there. But, man, you got Alshon Jeffrey on the outside, Deshaun Jackson on the outside, and now you let Justin Jefferson work the middle of the field with those tight ends, they're going to be hard to stop. I think this is a no-brainer with Justin Jefferson here. Absolutely wore people out in the slot last year in the SEC. It's a nice picture thinking about him playing that same spot there in the NFC East. Vikings have two picks in the first round, Chris. The first one comes at 22. Yeah, interesting team. I mean, pass rusher, corner, wide receiver, where do you go here? Okay, and, you know, I'm going to go to the cornerback position. You know, one, it's Mike Zimmer. He's a head coach. He's a defensive guy. You know, most times you want your defense to be good when you're a defensive coach. If you're an offensive coach, you usually want your offense to be good. So I just don't know how he couldn't go corner here. And with Christian Fulton on the board from LSU, I think that'll be the pick, no doubt about it. You know, Christian Fulton, uh, you know, you, you could argue that he could be in the conversation with the other three guys prior to him. I mean, I don't think it's that far off. Again, at LSU, he, can, he got in the face of every guy in the SEC and just mano y mano, let's go after it. You know, he's got great strength for his size. I do think he has the flexibility to play nickel because he has got great quickness and great feet that way. Uh, so desperation, I mean, not a desperate, desperate positional need for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think it makes sense. A desperate, uh, I think is the right term because they lost, I believe their top three corners in free agency. Uh, so yeah, that one makes a whole lot of sense. 
Patriots at 23 here, Chris. So first time since 2000 they're making a selection without Tom Brady. Jordan Love is still, is still on the board. We've talked about him a little bit. So I'm setting you up here maybe to go big here and quarterback at 23. Well, you would be wrong, okay? Okay. <laughs> I just think I think they're going to go all in on Jared Stidham. Uh, I, I would be shocked. I just haven't been led to any other thought to this point. Um, so I, I really I, – I think they're going to go for something that's going to help their football team out. You know, and you look at them and you go, man, they could go linebacker, certainly. You know, is there a receiver maybe that they would jump at here? I don't think so. They're the ultimate value pick type of football team. I think they'll look in other rounds to help out the receiver room. You know, I think the biggest thing here that jumps out to me is they need a tight end. They've always valued a tight end, and Cole Komet is on the board. And if you want to replace Gronk, this might be the guy that can do it. Nobody's going to beat Gronk. But when you talk about size, athleticism, you know, uh, blocking ability. Cole Komet really has it all. He fits the New England mold for what they want out of a traditional tight end. And I think he's a talented first-round pick and clearly the best tight end uh, in this draft. And that's why I'm going to go Cole Komet here. And you and I both know the kid and know the athlete very well, so we're fans of this pick. But uh, most believe that you can get the best tight end in round two. Do you think this is a reach? Uh, I, I, you know, it, no, I don't. You know, again, I think Cole Komet is clearly in the top 40 players of this draft. You know, I just think it's a, a not, the tight end is not a sexy subject this year. And he's not necessarily as sexy with, like, highlight plays, you know, on his highlight reel where he's running down the field and breaking all these tackles and doing stuff like we might have saw TJ Hawkinson doing last year out of Iowa. No, he's not quite that athletic. But he's got better size than Hawkinson. He's a better blocker than Hawkinson. And I think that New England will value that very much as well. Along with, you know, you want to give your quarterback uh, uh, some hope? Okay, get a tight end that can run block and be a huge target and get out of jail free card down the middle of the field. Uh, I just think it makes too much sense. So, yeah, that's why that's ultimately what led me to the logic of them. But I wouldn't be shocked if they traded down, Paul. You know the Patriots. Right. Right. I think it's a, I think it would be a wonderful pick. I mean, this kid has barely scratched the surface, played baseball in the spring instead of full-time spring football. I uh, had some injuries, so uh, the, the best is in front of him, I believe. Saints at 24. I agree. A number of people want to connect the Saints with the quarterback. Once again, Jordan Love is still there. I'd rather see a pick for Drew Brees to help him in his final season or maybe his final two seasons. How do you see it? Yeah, well, it, it, they kind of have a, you know – you know, uh, we'll do whatever the hell we want type of pick here because they don't have a desperate need on their football team. You know, and I have heard from some people that I trust that Sean Payton has a little bit of a love affair with Jordan Love, right? And I still think it eats at Sean Payton that he didn't get Patrick Mahomes. I really do. Uh, and I, I hear you with that. I, I think there will be some serious deliberating there about maybe even going with the Jordan Love, who, you know, like I like I said to you, is super super talented. I mean, his good is off the charts good. But I think ultimately, 
if they want a guy like Jordan Love, maybe they can make a play for him in the second round and make something happen. I think they're going to go middle linebacker. This is where I'm going to go Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. You know, Demario Davis, really good, but getting up there in years, not necessarily the best pass coverage linebacker in football either. He's improved that since his early days in his career. Tico Alonso coming off injury. You know, I just look at that as, man, here's a guy, and you're just, you just saw Gronkowski go to Tampa Bay. You know, Hayden Hurst is going to be on the Atlanta Falcons this year. You better think about some linebackers who can cover those type of guys. Plus, Murray's just super talented. He's awesome in the pass game. He's awesome in the run game. You know, like we said earlier, I wouldn't be shocked if the Broncos took him at 15 over Patrick Queen. Uh, he's in that conversation. But I, if I had to look at the biggest need for the Saints team, I think this is the spot I would look at. That's two linebackers because, as you just hinted to, at 15, you had Denver going Patrick Queen at LSU. Now Murray, uh, inside linebacker, 24 to the Saints. Bringing us to the Vikings, we just talked about them at 22. You had them filling a big-time need at corner, Christian Fulton out of LSU. Um, I think they'd love to have a receiver at 25. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, this is, I deliberated. It was receiver or pass rusher. And, I, okay, I'm just going by this. I, and I have no inside info here. Again, there's going to be a good receiver for them to pick in the second round. There will be somebody there. Now, yeah, I don't know. You certainly run the risk of maybe not the ones you really, really like being there. I understand that. But I think there's a greater chance of being one you like there at that position as compared to pass rusher in the second round. And I think pass rushers are just too special of a commodity. Plus, Zimmer and Spielman, they believe in their ability to draft receivers. They got Stephon Diggs in the fourth round. They got Adam Thielen at the end of the draft. So I'm sure they look at it and go, no, I think I got a good eye for that, right? So I'll find one later. And that's why I'm going to go Yeter Gross Matos here as the pass rusher. Yeter Gross Matos from, from Penn State. Little, what? Little, <laughs> you're like looking a little bit surprised because when we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, I think he had him ranked fifth. And you liked him, but you didn't quite like him in the first round. Epinesa is still there. Lewis out of Alabama, who I sense you like a whole lot. I was kind of thinking he would show up before 20. Why Gross Matos ahead of those two? Well, you know, okay. I, I, you know, I like Lewis better. There's no doubt. I think Lewis is a better football player. But I think there's the injury concern and the injury history there, right? So I'm trying to be right here. I just don't think Lewis will end up in the first round because of, because of that. Then, you know, with, um, with Epinesa, he just doesn't fit the type of defensive ends that play in that scheme, right? There's a reason they have e had Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter. You know, they're, they're, they're pass rushers. They play wide. They tell them just to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback, go upfield. Epinesa's not that type of guy. That's not their cup of tea. So that's what led me to Yeter Gross Matos. Plus, Yeter Gross Matos, the name I wrote down that he reminded me most of was Daniel Hunter. I mean, that's the guy he was, a little underwhelming in college. You always go, ooh, I wish he would dominate a little bit more. He's got more physical gifts than he's showing here on the field and on the film. So that annoys me. But there's also the other aspect of Paul of he's really safe. Like, nobody ever dominates him. He's big. He's strong. He's athletic. His worst plays are like 
stalemates at the line of scrimmage where he just holds the tackle in place in the run game. That's like as bad as it gets. And, I, you know, teams and evaluators are going to love that aspect about him too, to know that he's really safe and you're not going to get a bust and you're at least going to get a guy you can depend on in year one. It's a positional need. And, you know, yes, I, I think you're rolling the dice by picking another position and expecting to get a top-tier pass rusher later in the second round. Dolphins, their third pick of the first round comes at 26. Chris gave him Justin Herbert at number five. At 18, you went defense. Your number one safety, Antoine Winfield. So at 26, Miami up once again. I'm gonna, yeah, Miami's up once again. And, you know, who knows what happens here. But I really think the next thing I look at is offensive tackle. They got to they gotta fix that position. And this is where Josh Jones from Houston, I think, comes into play. You know, Josh Jones from Houston, you know, a little raw. Houston plays a very college offense. But, man, he's 323 pounds, and he's just an absolute phenomenal athlete. You know, so uh, long arms. Really, to me, it, it was one of those things where the player is there. You just – you don't get to see him do a lot of whole NFL-type stuff on film. And uh, there's just not too many – people on planet earth that can move the way he can or built the way he can it's a huge need and this is really kind of where I saw Josh Jones yeah he didn't make my top five offensive linemen but he was like number six and I think he's the guy that falls somewhere between 25 and 40 you know late first round early second that type of guy and I think with the desperate need the Miami Dolphins have at the position that they take him off the board right here that's five offensive linemen, uh, five offensive tackles off the board as we get past 26 and move to the Seahawks, Chris, at 27. Yeah, and this is a, it's another good one. I mean, yeah, the, the Seahawks, we know they could use a pass rusher. You know, I thought about Terrell Lewis, but then I went, damn, last year they drafted LJ Collier. He got hurt. Now you're going to draft another guy that's, you know, a really awesome, talented guy, but has injury history. And then you just had Debbie Clowney and Ziggy Anza, and neither one of them could play the whole year last year because, what, wait, wait for it, they were injured. So I just don't imagine them doing that again or, or rolling the dice on that as much as I love Terrell Lewis. You know, I looked at other positions. Hey, O-line, yeah, it's not perfect. But I still, I mean, this is one of the, there's not a bad O-line. They ran the ball well last year. They pass protected better than they have, at least in recent history with Russell Wilson. Yeah, it's not great, but it's like middle of the road good. I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, my gosh, if they don't get an offensive lineman, they're screwed in the first round. So, ultimately, I went back to the roots of Pete Carroll and went back, let's go to the defensive line. And I'm going Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma right here, Paul. I think he could be Michael Bennett for them, except he's bigger and stronger. I think he's going to be a three. They're going to have Jerron Reed. At Shade Nose, you put Neville Gallimore, who's probably the best interior pass rusher in this whole draft, plays really hard. He's 303 pounds and ran 479. I mean, come on. Get the hell out of here with that crap. Are you kidding me? That's <laughs> insane. I mean, he beats me in a 40 at, you know, 90 pounds, 70 pounds heavier than me. What the hell? That's not right. Uh, but I, I just think he's too disruptive, and he fits that scheme, Paul. That Seattle scheme where they just play win your gap, fire in your gap, fly in there and cause havoc. And I think this guy's made for that. And that's why I'm going to go with Neville Gallimore to the Seattle Seahawks. 
Ravens at 28 here, Chris. And I'm, I'm curious here because most mocks, and it makes sense to me, gives them one of those top two inside linebackers, Murray or Queen. You've got them both gone. So how do you see this playing out? I know, I know. I, you know, when I, when I was playing around with it leading up to finishing my mock draft, I kept, you know, I, I, I was with you. I kept going, oh, Kenneth Murray would be nice there. Oh, Patrick Queen would be nice there. But then when I started to get in the nitty gritty, I just went, damn, I just don't think they're going to be on the board by the time they're picking. I think this is where we're going to see the, the Wisconsin kid, Zach Vaughn, come off the board. That's who I'm going to pick. And, you know, Zach Vaughn played a little bit more outside linebacker in his time at Wisconsin, but you get to see him play stand-up linebacker off the ball plenty on film to where you see him take on blocks and, you know, set the edge or fill the hole in the run game or whatever it may be. He's just a phenomenal football player. And the Ravens are a team that's in the luxury right now. Of, yeah, they really don't have any position on their team where you go, man, they have to improve that. You know, there's a reason they were the number one seed in the AFC. And this right. is really the only position I look at. And I think Zach Vaughn's tough, physical, very athletic. And, uh, you know, they're kind of an amoeba up front. They like to do a lot of different crap. And he can do a lot of different crap. The defense was good last year. They had Campbell and they had Vaughn in this scenario. That's a, that's a nice upgrade there to an already good, as you pointed out, front seven. Tennessee at 29. I see interior needs here on both sides, Chris. but. You've got three defensive tackles now already gone, and offensive tackles been the most popular pick, five of them already off the board. Yeah, they're, they're I would say, the team I probably spent the most time on trying to sit here going, what the hell are they going to do here? I, I really did. I had a tough time. Now, offensive line is really good. You're right. They lost Jack Conklin, but they did sign Dennis Kelly, right? to the type of money that tells me that they would be comfortable with him starting at right tackle. You know, I'm connecting dots here. But when you give the guys, you know, $7 million a year, you know, basically in a contract, I sit here and go, well, they think he can start for them. That's why they're giving him that type of money. So that certainly went through my brain. You know, they, they signed the defensive tackle. I drafted Jeffrey Simmons last year in the first round, the defensive tackle. I thought about the, another defensive tackle interior-wise here. Ultimately, though, this is one of the worst pass defenses in football last year. And I don't know if everybody realizes that. I think they were 24th or 25th in pass defense. And this is where I'm going to go with Xavier McKinney from Alabama. You know, again, this is Mike Vrabel, the New England way. You know they value DBs. You know, they got two pretty good ones on the outside, and Malcolm Butler and Dory Jackson. And you got Bayard as a safety. McKinney, okay, to me is a free safety slash nickel cover guy. I was amazed with his ability to cover the slot at Alabama. And that's really where he played mostly anyways, Paul. He was in the slot more times than not when you look at where he lined up. And his ability to move in short spaces and cover those short, quick slot routes, he's made for that position. Uh, and they have Kenny Vaccaro, who's a nice other, but I think that's a third safety. To me, I would envision Xavier McKinney and Bayard being the two safeties where they can both do a little bit of both. And then you guys got the guys on the outside, of course, who we already mentioned. But I think McKinney really fits the scheme and what they want to do there. I think his versatility goes even a step beyond what you talked about. Playing the slot 
they spent a lot of time. I think it was the LSU game. It looked like he was the starting Will linebacker. So well, it, we, we, it is right. That's what I mean. It ends up being like that. You're right. Yeah, the, the, you're exactly right because he's such an aggressive tackler. You know, it's like Rondé Barber on my old Tampa Bay Bucks teams. Yeah, he's our nickel cover corner, but man, he's tough and fearless as hell. And if the run comes that way, don't think he's going to be some like wimpy corner that's going to like try to tackle you by your shoelaces. No, he's going to come and try to knock your head off. And if he gets knocked off doing that, he doesn't even care. So that's why, yeah, I'm with you, Paul. That's what he kind of fits. He can play run defense really well, and he's amazing in coverage. And I think that's ultimately where he'll be for that football team and really help them out. Packers at 30 here, Chris. Before I get you to your pick, I have one question that I had to go back and like double and triple and quadruple check. Last time Green Bay used a first-round pick on an offensive skill position player, you know when that was? Let me think about this. Jeez. Um, I, I, I feel like you're going to say Aaron Rodgers. There you go. 2005, Aaron Rodgers. That's insane. insane. Isn't it? Yeah. My, my first reaction is to go, can we please get him a receiver? Can we please yes. get him a receiver? Yeah. Right? Yeah, there are, there's some out there. I know. And, like, this is where I thought about, you know, the IU kid from, from Arizona State. Like I him. thought about mm -hmm. maybe a T. Higgins. But then I went, oh, wait, they have Devin Funches. And then I went, wait, you have Aaron Rodgers, too. So you're never desperate. I mean, he's made a lot of really average receivers look awesome when they come there in Green Bay, right? And then they go somewhere else and they get paid. And then everyone goes, they're not that good. And I want to go, yeah, because Aaron Rodgers has been throwing the ball right here for them for like the last seven years. And they haven't to do anything but just go, oh, there's the ball. Oh, there's the ball. And we go, oh, man, look at them. They're amazing receivers. Oh, but they can't get open on any other team other than Green Bay. Maybe they're not that amazing. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna bypass the receiver, though. Okay? Uh, I was sold. I was sold. You were building it up. I, I was waiting Goody, for the Penn State kid. I think I, you know, I love him. And I, again, that's where I think, you know, I think there's going to be some good ones to be had in the mm -hmm. second round. I also like, you know, listen, that Devontae Adams and Devin Funches, I like that combo. And Alan Lazard is not bad. They got to improve the position, though. I'm not arguing that. My biggest concern is big people in the middle of their defense, though. You watched the 49ers games last year, they got yeah. fucking steamrolled in those games. In fact, just about any time they played really good offensive lines, whether it was the Raiders or the Eagles, they got steamrolled. And they got to get some people with some tush hogs in there, some big butts and big legs, okay? And that's where I'm going Raekwon Davis from Alabama. I think this is the perfect guy. He reminds me of Muhammad Wilkerson. Oh, that's right. Mike Pettin coached Muhammad Wilkerson when he was with the New York Jets. That's the type of player they need. It's kind of a 3-4 hybrid scheme. I think Raekwon Davis would really fit what they do. I did not expect to see four interior defensive linemen off the board at any point in the first round here, Chris. I know. Well, you know, it's a special position. It really does a lot more to dictate football games than maybe we all lead on. You know, all of us, I'm, I'm included. We talk about the sexy positions way too much, but – you know, there I go in the Super Bowl, and you go, oh, the 49ers, what they have? Oh, those two tree trunks, defensive tackles. Oh, who was the MVP other than Patrick Mahomes for Kansas City on the other side of the ball? Oh, Chris Jones, right. You know, so it's just such an important position this day and age in the NFL. 
And I think the four deep tackles that I picked have some special, special talents that they can bring to any team. Well, as long as we're talking San Francisco, let's go there next at 31. They've been active so far. They were at 13. You had them trade them back uh, to 20 to get Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver from Alabama. So what's on your mind here at 31? Well, I certainly wouldn't be shocked if they went and tried to trade down here again. I wouldn't. Um, you know, so I think that's a very real possibility. I think the biggest thing I look at, though, if there's no trade, you know, the, corner, the cornerback position, I think, needs to be addressed for this football team to a degree. I mean, Richard, Sher Richard Sherman, I would bet this is his last year in San Francisco. And then after that, you know, they got some good players, but nobody great. And I think they're going to probably learn the lesson, you know, like, like what we talked about a little bit. You know, in big situations like third and 15 in the Super Bowl, everybody knows you're going to play the cover three scheme. Oh, two jet wasps for 50 yards. You know, no, I would have liked you to be able to play situation or do something like that. So I'm going Trevon Diggs from Alabama here. You know, one, the length and physicality at the line of scrimmage just really fits that Richard Sherman mold for the perfect scheme fit here. I think that's why I do it. Tremendous ball skills. He was equally – he was better in zone coverage than he is in man coverage, which I think will be a big reason the 49ers like him, let alone the size, length, and the ability to play the ball because his brother, Stephon Diggs, is very special. That's five cornerbacks now off the board as we get to the last pick of the first round, Chiefs at 32, who just might also be in the cornerback market too. They could be. I, I, you're, you're right. I'm not, I would not be shocked. Now, Rashad Breeland's back. Charvarius Ward, he's, you know, kind of quietly a pretty damn solid corner for them. You know, they have this kid, number 27, Fenton, who I think has got a chance to be a nickel corner. You know, and, of course, Honey Badger. And then they got the kid Thornhill, Juan Thornhill, who got hurt at the end of last year, but they drafted him, I want to say, in the third round, who's another so – I don't know if they're as desperate a DB as maybe I thought until I deep-dived into it. I'm, I'm going for – most exciting player available here. I'm going Clyde Edwards-Alaire at pick 32. First running back I, off the board. They need a running back for one. Damian Williams is, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's still a good player. But I just think of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, okay, Mahomes drops back to pass and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Watkins and McCole Harmon are all down the field going every which way. Who the hell's going to cover Clyde Edwards-Hilaire underneath? Who is it? And then who the hell's going to tackle him when all you guys are back there trying to cover all those guys? Let alone he can run between the tackles. I think he's the best running back in the draft, and I think he's made for that system. He was in a system like that in college. The West Coast, Sean Payton system, you know, Andy Reid runs a similar system to that. So, uh, you know, I, they could go anywhere with this pick, but I, I guess this one's a little bit more fanboy. I'm hoping they go this way with this pick. Hey, Chris, I, I'm a huge fan of any kind of pick that, especially at this point of the first round, that ignores what could be a bigger need. And you look at your biggest strength and you're just kind of showing off. And you're like, you know what? We'll be fine if there's other spots. We're going to take our best position and make it even better with this pick. I, I, I think, you know, there's some logic to that. You know what? Kansas City, we're, we're, let's not trick ourselves. We're not going to build a team to be like the 85 Bears all of a sudden. We know what Kansas City is. It's about points and yards and 
You know, their offense is going to win the games by putting pressures on the other team offense that makes them have to play a game they don't want to play, which will then favor their defense. So, yes, I kind of look at it that way, Paul. Like, yeah, okay, fine. Yep, we might not be the best team in defense, but damn, our offense is going to be so tough that you better keep pace with us because we got mismatches everywhere, and especially with their quarterback, who's the best player in football. So, yeah, I like the combination. I think it's a very realistic thing that could happen. First round in the books, and I, I want to get to, before we close this one out, the biggest names that didn't make it, Jordan Love didn't get picked. T. Higgins, wide receiver, Clemson, didn't make your cut. Hamler, receiver, Penn State, I thought he might go somewhere. He didn't go. Am I leaving any other big names any of, of your man crushes out? Well, you know, I, the, the IU kid from Arizona State, I think he was receiver, right on yeah. the verge of, of being in that conversation, too. You know, he was a guy I looked at where I was just like, ah, man, I can't believe I don't have him in the first round. Like, it bothered me, but yet, you know, I can see him falling to the second there. And then the other one is Epinesa. You know, Epinesa from your old school. You know, I think he's a first-round talent. I do. You know, I think a lot of them. Um, he's not sexy, and I did, you know, knowing GMs, I think, you know, his combine performance is going to scare some of them. It doesn't scare me. But, again, I'm trying to be right on this mock draft, and I just – I think it will scare most teams in football, and I think he is on the board somewhere there in the early first round to be had for some, for some team there. We got Kirk Ferentz, the column of the show, last year at draft time, and now you leave his best defensive player off the list. You just alienated a friend there, Chris. Come on, man. <laughs> Damn, I'm sorry. I don't want to mess up your <laughs> Iowa connections. My bad, man. Well, hopefully it would take more than that. And, hey, his, his running of over a five in the 40-yard dash at the Combine is, uh, is the biggest issue, and we had nothing to do with that. Chris, that was fun, man. Way to go. Thanks, buddy. I'm glad yes. it's over. Woo, man. <laughs> it's stressful doing this damn mock draft, okay? It really Make, is. makes you uh, sweat, I can see. It does. It makes me sweat. I got a little glisten over here. But I uh, appreciate you, man. Thanks for asking all the right questions. You really do. Thanks for making me look good with some. And then, you know, hey, giving me some of the main, main, you know, mainstream pushback about what we hear out there. I think we had a good discussion. That, you know, I tried fun, to make yeah. logic out of all my picks. Uh, I hope everybody can exactly. appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of mocks, uh, mocks. I don't read them all, but the ones that I read, I don't care if they got two right or if they got 12 right. I love the logic behind when they clearly have insight to an organization and an understanding of the roster. And, hey, I'm just one fan here, but that's all I'm looking for. And I heard it with the 32 picks. Before we say goodbye, uh, some of the big interviews you have coming up with the names that we're going to hear here in the first round. Yeah, I'm about to get on the, you know, the Zoom FaceTime right here with C.D. Lamb. When I get off with you, I'm pumped to do that. You know, this is the, one of the baller supremes of the draft. I, I had an interview with Clyde Edwards-Alaire yesterday. You know, this T.J. Henderson two days ago, Isaiah Simmons. It's like the all-Chris Sims unbuttoned football team, and I'm getting to interview him, so I love it, you know. I'm, I'm a good hype man for these guys, and I've been having some fun. I've been asking them some awkward questions, Paul. I, I, I like to I can imagine. some silly stuff first. Yeah, so it, it's been a lot of fun. And look for those anywhere you download the podcast or on the NBC Sports YouTube page. Make sure you tell CD that you have him going uh, eight to Arizona to play with Kyler and Larry Fitzgerald and DeAndre Hopkins. They'll like you even oh, more. Don't you worry. I'm going to see his reaction. I'm going to see if I can read his poker face. He knows something I don't know. 
So we'll see how that goes. But uh, that's it for Christmas Unbutton. Paulie, you the man. Thanks for leading the charge and leading me through this mock draft. Everybody enjoy the draft Thursday. I'm going to be on Twitter, on Instagram, all through the draft, giving live reactions. And then, of course, Friday, we'll do a draft recap podcast and dive back into what happened. Uh, but I'm excited for it. And thanks, Paul. You the man. Everybody be safe out there. Peace out. Be good. Talk to everybody Friday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.